Romans chapter 5 then. Paul begins this chapter with a statement. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have peace with God? Paul did. He makes that affirmation quite clear. We're justified by faith. We have peace with God. That is the blessing and the privilege of every single Christian. But sometimes even as Christians, we do not enter into the fullness of what it is to have peace with God. I ask you again then, are you conscious that you have and you stand in a right relationship to God? You mentioned Martin Luther earlier on. He was so desperate to say he almost killed himself, deprived himself of sleep, of food, went and frustrated people who tried to counsel him. He drove them mad, almost, because of his persistence. He had a deep consciousness of his own sin, but he did not know at that point pardon for his sin and peace with God. Now, many people reading and listening to that about Luther would say, well, the guy was paranoid. He was deluded. He was somewhat out of balance mentally and emotionally. For many today, they would say, peace with God? What are you talking about? Why do I need to have peace with God? Men and women caught up in the pleasures of this age. Scarcely a thought about a holy God who made them. Scarcely a thought about human sin, their own sin. Scarcely a thought about judgment and hell. It's not relevant. Don't bother me with those things. Others would say, well, I hope I have peace with God. I, I hope that he'll look favorably upon me. After all, I'm a fairly decent person. I, I do my best to live a, a good life. Uh, I'm, I'm as good as the next person. Perhaps you may even secretly think, uh, actually, I'm a bit better than the next person. I think I've done okay. When I do things wrong, I try and compensate by doing things that I think are good and right. And I'm sure God will take that into account and accept me because of that. If you think that, that is a vain hope. It's foolish imagination. You've been deceived. It's a lie. That is not the way to peace with God. Because you are effectively saying, I don't need Jesus Christ. I can do it myself. I can put myself somehow right with God. And in the vain hope then that he will accept me in the end. But Christ doesn't come into the picture. 
I'm going to tell you from the scriptures this evening that the only way to have peace with God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Only when you are justified and therefore not condemned, only when you are justified by trusting in Jesus Christ can you have peace with God. We're going to look this evening how one man's righteous act results in justification for life. It's Christ and Christ alone. Now as we look in detail at verses 12 to 21, there are comparisons and contrasts between two men, Adam and Christ. They are two real people. Two real historical figures. Adam was the first man. God made him, put him in the garden of Eden. And Adam is the head of the entire human race. He represents all men. Doesn't matter where you come from, the color of your skin, Adam is the head of the entire human race. We are all descended from him. And then there is another in this, in this passage, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the last Adam or the second Adam. The Lord from heaven, as Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 15. He is not only a man, he is the God-man. Jesus Christ, but he took our nature, he took Adam's nature, human nature, and he is the head and representative of the whole redeemed people of God. He's the head of the new humanity, and they and they alone have peace with God through Christ. These two key men are related. We read in verse 14 of Adam, that he is a type of him who was to come. Now that's referring, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this matter of being the representative, the head of the human race. Adam is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the representative head of the entire human race. Christ is the representative head of the redeemed humanity. And in that sense, he is a type of him who was to come. Who they were and what they did is of vital importance. And that's what we need to examine. Because there are comparisons and there are contrasts between Adam and Christ. And what they did affects everybody. Now, we're going to look firstly at Adam. How he brought ruin to the entire human race. We sang about that in our first hymn this morning, those of you who were here. Adam brought ruin to the whole human race. Let's establish that from the scriptures. Let me take you through these verses and demonstrate how Paul explains this. 
In verse 12, David read this this morning. Therefore, just as through one man, that's Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. How did sin and death enter this world? It's what Adam did that matters, that counts. It's made explicit in this verse. Sin entered the world and death through sin. And death became universal. It came to all men. All sinned in Adam. And this is long before the law was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments. Sin and death was in the world before the transgressions that arose because of the law of God. Adam's actions had a domino effect. Have you ever seen people build these amazing trails of dominoes? It goes on for, I won't say miles, but it seems to at times. And then what happens? You knock the first one, and then all the dominoes, one after another, go down. It's quite an amazing feat. But Adam's sin had a domino effect. It had a knock-on effect on the hue on the entire human race. Verse 15. In the middle of that verse, for if by the one man's offense many died. Verse 16. For the judgment which came from one offence, resulted in condemnation. Now he's explaining things, he's adding more here. Sin, death, condemnation. How? By one man's offence. And then in verse 17, if by the one man's offence, death reigned through the one. Adam ruined the whole human race. Sin, death, condemnation. What was this one offence? Again, David referred to it this morning. You remember Adam was created by God. He was put in the Garden of Eden. There was no sin. There was no death. And God gave a commandment to Adam. You can eat of every tree that's in the garden. But there is one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat the fruit from that tree, you will die. And what did Adam do? We know that he disobeyed. God's command was given to that one man, Adam. And we read on into chapter 3, and we read how Satan tempted Eve. And she fell for that temptation. And she took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She ate some of it, and then she gave some of it to her husband. And he ate. Now you say, well, it was Eve who sinned. So why, why all the focus on Adam? 
Well, the commandment was first of all given to Adam, not to Eve, to Adam. And it was Satan's subtlety to get at Adam via his wife. But Adam should have stopped her. He should have obeyed God. When Adam was questioned by the Lord God, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Adam was covered with shame and guilt. And he tried to shift the blame. Well, it's the woman you gave me. But he was guilty. Adam was formed first. The command was given to Adam. And Adam, as the head and the representative of the entire human race, disobeyed God and brought sin and death into this world. Verse 18. Through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were constituted or made sinners. And you see then how Adam, by what he did, has brought ruin, condemnation, wrath, the wrath of God to the whole, whole human race. One act of disobedience. Adam has dragged us all down. Sin, death, judgment, condemnation. We are all reckoned sinners because of what Adam did. Now when I've stated that in the past in a sermon, I've had people who come up to me up and say, that's not fair. <laughs> that's not fair. I wasn't there. And if I'd been there, I wouldn't have done what Adam did. Well, I think you can see through that quite easily. Is it fair that Adam, who ate the forbidden fruit, is to blame, in that sense, for sin and death in this world? But you see, he is there. God has appointed him as the head, as the representative of the entire human race you can't change that that's God's plan that's God's ordering of things we sinned in Adam we fell with him in that first transgression people today have no explanation for why death exists in this world they just say well it's it's something that happens naturally no it isn't sin has entered this world and death has come as a judgment of God upon sin. He's brought ruin. He's brought sin and a great deal of unhappiness into this world. And the biggest unhappiness 
People don't realize it, but the biggest misery and sin and, and, and unhappiness in the world is we have lost communion, fellowship with our God, with Creator who made us. We do not have a relationship that is positive because of sin. That's our biggest loss. We're not at peace with God at all, and He is not at peace with us. When Adam sinned, God drove him out of the garden. And there was no way back. You see, the truth of the matter is that you and I are not righteous in the eyes of God at all. We're not righteous. We're not right with God. We don't have peace with God. We're under condemnation. We're under his wrath. We're under his curse. We're exposed to death, to hell, to eternal woe. Have you ever realized that? Recognize that you are a sinner. And before God, that's how you appear. Apart from Christ. We'll come to him in a moment. By nature, we are sinful. And we do not have peace with God. That is the effect of what Adam did on that fateful day when he took the fruit from his wife Eve and disobeyed God. Guilt and condemnation fell upon him and the entire human race. I want secondly to turn and look now at Christ to consider Christ and the righteousness that he provides. Adam brings ruin. Christ brings righteousness. The second Adam comes to our rescue. What he did as the representative, the head of the new humanity is the way in which God proclaims peace with him. Horatius Bonar put it this way. I hear the words of love. I gaze upon the blood, the blood of Christ. I see the mighty sacrifice, Calvary. And I have peace with God. And Paul explains this again. There are a number of key words in chapter 5. But now we are seeing the contrast, the ruin and the righteousness. And this righteousness far exceeds anything that we can really grasp and imagine. Our salvation bears very little resemblance to Adam's sin and its effects. What Christ did is on a different scale. It's greater it's great in every aspect that you look at it. And the first key words are found in verse 15. The free gift is not like the offense. 
Paul compares the offense of Adam with the free gift of God. That's what he's talking about. It's of a different order, isn't it? This free gift is mentioned again in verse 17. Speaking of those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. You see the, comp- the contrast? Here is Adam's offense. There's nothing you can do about it. You're lost. You're helpless. We're condemned. And here is God in Jesus Christ saying, a free gift. A free gift. It's the grace of God. When you read through this chapter, you read again and again of much more. How much more? It's abounding. It's superabounding to many. Verse 17. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the Lord, through the one, Jesus Christ. It's very different language, isn't it? It's almost as if you're in a different world. The ruin that Adam brought plunged the human race into ruin, sadness, sorrow, grief, helplessness, guilt, condemnation. And we haven't got a leg to stand on. And if you just listen to that, it weighs heavily on your heart. But when you begin to read of Christ and the free gift of grace, that changes everything begins to put a smile on your face and a hope in your heart, the hope of salvation, blessing, the hope of forgiveness of sins. Now you may have felt, well, it's not fair. We fell with Adam. It's not fair. But now, tell me then how the grace of God is fair. (sighs) What, what, What do we deserve? We deserve the judgment of God. Why then should God extend his free gift of righteousness to us? How do you explain that? I can't. It's God's prerogative. It's God's gift. We're staring at the goodness and the love of God. He was the one who sent the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world. He was the one who came, born of Mary, the incarnate Son of God. The Son of God who took our nature in order to save us. He's the second Adam. And what he did far, far exceeds Adam's one sin. Paul talks in verse 16 about many offences. Adam, we're talking about one offence. Now we're talking about many offences. How many times have you broken the law of God? How many times have you broken the Ten Commandments? You can't count them, can you? It's like a great mountain. But you see, what Jesus Christ did dealt not only with Adam's offence and the sin that 
he committed and the effect on the human race, he dealt with all your transgressions and all my transgressions. How wonderful is that? One offence brought condemnation. One act of disobedience. And now many offences. Adam's sin and all your own sins. The free gift, verse 16, came for many, from many offences and resulted in justification. And that's enlarged in verse 20. The law entered, offences abounded, grace abounded much more. Some would translate that it's superbounded. Grace reigned through righteousness to eternal life. Adam brought ruin, he brought death. Jesus Christ brings righteousness and life, eternal life and peace with God. How did it come about? Verses 18 and 19 are crucial here. It is one man's righteous act. One man's righteous act, the free gift, came to all men resulting in justification of life. And verse 19, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteousness. You see, your, your focus is upon Jesus Christ and his obedience, his one act of obedience. You say, well, when did he do that? Well, it's, it's his entire life of obedience. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. When Satan tempted him in the wilderness, said, well, look, you're hungry. After these 40 days, you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. It's interesting, it's dealing with food again, isn't it? Like, like Adam in the garden. I'm not sure of the significance of that, but there's a parallel there. And what was the reply of the Lord Jesus Christ? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Jesus Christ lived by the word of God. He obeyed his father. He obeyed the law of God. He obeyed his father when he went to the cross. It was the father who sent him into the world in order to die in our place. And he offered himself up as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. But he was accounted as a sinner. Our sins were put to his account. And he dies on the cross. And atones for our sin so that his obedience and blood and righteousness might be put to our account. And we might be accounted righteous then in the sight of God and have peace with God. Our sins have been forgiven. Christ paid the penalty. The penalty of sin. And then he rose from the dead and dealt with the power of of death. It's by his blood 
by his obedience. He died in your place, sinner. He died in my place. He took all my guilt and was made a curse in order that my sins might be forgiven and his righteousness might be accredited to me. How much greater is that than the effects of Adam's one offence? It doesn't compare, does it? With such a gulf. One man's obedience. The entirety of his life here upon this earth was one act of obedience. And he has secured a perfect righteousness for fallen sinners. And those who put their faith in him they're accounted righteous in his sight. How then can you have peace with God? Well, the first thing to acknowledge is to say, well, I can't attain it myself. It's impossible. It's impossible. I'm a fallen creature. I'm a fallen sinner. I've sinned in Adam, with Adam. My own sins, my own transgressions. They condemn me too. You see that this righteousness is a gift, a free gift that God gives to all who put their faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. There's a profound mystery here. There is deep Wisdom, the wisdom of God, the mystery of this grace that tells us we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He provides for us something we could never, ever provide for ourselves. It means, you see, that the moment any sinner puts their trust in Christ, the moment you have faith in Christ to save you from your sins, that moment you are immediately justified and you are eternally justified. It's not just for the here and now. You have eternal life and you are justified forever and forever. No one can condemn you. God will not condemn you. You've trusted in Christ. The angels cannot condemn you. No man can condemn you. The devils cannot condemn you. Satan cannot condemn you. You are justified. You are righteous in the eyes of God. And God will not remove it. He doesn't say, here's a gift and then snatch it back from you. Because you sin. You still sin. But God doesn't snatch away the righteousness of Christ. That righteousness never loses its power. It's never ineffective. It answers all the charges that have been laid against you. It's attended with all the graces that you need. Christ has secured it for you. And it's obtained by faith. 
you still think you're decent enough to earn your own righteousness. You see the folly of it. And can you see the wrongness of it? Because what you are doing is, I can do without Christ. I don't need Christ. My friend, you need Christ. I need Christ. He is the only way to be right with God, to have peace with God. Faith is the hand that reaches out to Christ and accepts the free gift. I've got something in my pocket which might help explain this. Delve into my wallet. Stanley, you're about the nearest. What is that? You know? It's a 20 pound note. Right. Those of you on Zoom, a 20 pound note. Those of you at the back who can't see, you have it on Stanley's word. This is a 20 pound note. Now, supposing I was to leave this table here and come down and say, hold out 20 pounds. Some of you would think, hey, it doesn't really mean that, 20 pounds a lot of money. But if you were to receive my 20 pound note, what would you, as I held it out with my hand, I draw near to you and hold it out with my hand, what do you need to do? in order to make that 20 pound yours. You need to stretch out your hand and say, it's mine. That's what faith is. That is what faith in Jesus Christ is. Faith is the hand. However sinful, however dirty it is, however unclean it is, faith is the hand that reaches out to Christ and receives him. And his righteousness. And you have peace. With God. But if you're going to receive it. It's not just coming with your own works. And your own efforts. If you've got something else in your hand. You have to get rid of it. If you're going to receive this free gift. That's what faith is. Faith is an empty hand. Here is Jesus Christ offering full salvation. Here is Jesus Christ crucified for sinners, offering himself and his righteousness in order to bring us to God. And all you need do is to take it, to receive it. It's a free gift. If you stand off, say, I, I, I'm not going to accept that. Why would you respond like that? It's an insult, is it not, to God? Here is God saying, here is my son, Jesus Christ. He's offering you as a free gift. And you say, don't want it. Don't want it. But that is what some of you may be doing here this evening. And some of you may have said no to God on a number of occasions. I will tell you that that sin of 
unbelief and insulting God in that way, that's also covered by the blood of Christ. All our sins, all our sins, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling to Christ, to Christ. Go to Christ, go now to Christ, delay no further. You're not going to be any better if you leave it till next week, next year. What will happen is you will harden your heart. Don't do that. Please do not do that. Receive salvation here and now through Jesus Christ alone. It's a free gift. Take it. Believe. Be justified by faith. You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.